What's up, everybody? This is Fred Ricciani of TSC News here with another WWE pay-per-view retro review. This time, Elimination Chamber 2013, which was headlined by CM Punk versus The Rock. It was a rematch of Royal Rumble 2013, which saw The Rock capture his first world championship in nine years en route to The Rock, defending the title against John Cena at WrestleMania 29, a WrestleMania that I was in attendance for, although... I did have an obstructed view, which was not fun. But Rock won the world title. CM Punk enacted his rematch clause. And it would be Punk versus Rock 2 at Elimination Chamber. While The Rock's presence did give this pay-per-view a bit of a bump in terms of sales, I have to say, back in 2013, I think we saw a little too much of The Rock. When a guy like The Rock or Goldberg or Brock Lesnar appears... Every now and then, as opposed to a couple weeks, every couple weeks, every few weeks. Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit better. It keeps them more special. It keeps them fresh. I feel like we saw The Rock a little too much. And in 2013, in the main event of this show, I think it was kind of apparent. The fans were happy to see The Rock. It was great to see The Rock back in the ring. But, you know, Rock was never one of the greatest workers in the world from a technical standpoint. I still think... He's a guy that's had a lot of great matches, was tremendous at psychology, one of the greatest performers of all time. But, you know, he's he's never going to be confused with a guy like Daniel Bryan. And you also have to remember, too, The Rock is a movie star. He's, he's a gigantic star. And back then, he was still huge like he is now. So it's going to be tough keeping up with conditioning, staying in in-ring shape, filming, doing what you got to do, doing all this promotional work. And, yeah, he's the WWE champion at, at the time. But... They ended up having a a pretty good match. So let's get to the show here. February 17, 2013. This took place at the New Orleans Arena in New Orleans, Louisiana. We had a dark match of Brodus Clay and Tensai, a.k.a. Coach Matt Bloom of NXT, defeating Cody Rhodes and Damian Sandow. Nobody cares. We had Alberto Del Rio as the world champion with Ricardo Rodriguez, babyface Alberto Del Rio, defeating Big Show via submission to retain the title. Not a bad match, a pretty good match, but I thought their last two matches were better. They had a great last man standing match at Royal Rumble 2013. And before that, on a random episode of SmackDown, Alberto challenged the Big Show for the first time for the world title in a last man standing match. This feud went ass backwards. Two last man standing matches and then a regular match? Weird. Very weird. And at the time, WWE wanted to make Alberto Del Rio this big Mexican babyface. Here's the problem. First of all, they had turned him babyface sort of, I think, a month before. A week later, I kid you not, they did the Christmas episode of Raw, which was just an insult to everybody's intelligence. And Alberto Del Rio, with his fancy limousine, accidentally ran over Santa Claus... And they teased that he murdered Santa Claus. So for one night, he was a heel that murdered Santa Claus. And then the next week, they decided, hey, let's turn him face again. But he never really turned face. He just kind of became a guy that liked the fans. And he beat the big show while it was a great match, while he won the world title, while it was a nice surprise. It featured no buildup, no hype. Why did guys like Daniel Bryan get over And John Cena get over. And Batista. And Stone Cold Steve Austin. And The Rock. 
It's about the journey to get to the pinnacle. Mick Foley. It's about the journey to get to the pinnacle. CM Punk. The list goes on and on. Hulk Hogan. Randy Savage. Man. Ric Flair. I mean, every real major babyface has had to go through some adversity before just becoming the guy or, or uh, one of the top stars. And Alberto Del Rio, yeah, he went through adversity as a heel that nobody liked. And then magically they snapped their fingers and said, hey, we want to make him a babyface. He's good looking. He speaks Spanish. He's good in the ring. What's not to love? The fans will love him. And instead, he had a title run that produced some good matches, but that did not get over. He ended up losing the title to Dolph Ziggler the day after WrestleMania 29, which was an awesome moment that I wish I was in attendance for, being a New Jersey native. And poor Dolph Ziggler ended up getting concussed a couple weeks into his title run. He came back only to lose to Alberto Del Rio, who, shocker, did not get over. And then by that point, Alberto turned heel again. And then Alberto proceeded to lose a number of non-title matches. He ended up having some good pay-per-view matches where he beat the likes of Christian and Rob Van Dam. They were really good matches. But then, shocker, he lost the world title and was never really over again. Shocker, right? It's weird how these guys like Alberto and Dolph Ziggler, who are very talented guys, don't get over, right? Or don't get over to the, the level they should. Weird, weird, right? Just, Just weird. It's not like it has anything to do with the maligned creative process. Jesus Christmas. So anyway, Alberto beat Big Show via submission. Cross arm breaker. We had Antonio Cesaro, who at the time had a first name as the United States champion, beat The Miz via DQ when The Miz intentionally low-blowed him because Miz was pissed off. During this period, WWE was intent on making Miz a babyface. Why? I have no idea. Maybe Miz could have been a big babyface in 2011, 2012, when he still had some momentum. But this was a dark period for The Miz's career. He was just languishing in the mid-card. Ugh. And this was a period where, believe it or not, they pushed The Miz more than Cesaro. They pushed The Miz as a tough guy. This was the era of tough guy Miz. There was even a match, I think, on a Raw where Miz submitted Cesaro with the figure four leg lock that was lent to him by Ric Flair. They had a Ric Flair endorse the Miz. This would be one thing if it was heel Ric Flair and heel Miz. No, no. This was babyface Miz, babyface Ric Flair. Horrible. Horrible. And Cesaro would go on to not even appear on the WrestleMania 29 card. Didn't even appear on the prelims. Ridiculous. Ugh, ridiculous. And that was a terrible WrestleMania too. Ugh. I don't even remember who he lost the world title to or the U.S. title to. I don't even care. It was just that was a bad period for Cesaro, and it was, that was an awful period for the Miz creatively. We and, and actually the Miz would go on to beat Wade Barrett instead for the Intercontinental Championship. Okay, cool, cool. The brand extension was practically dead at that point. Yeah, actually, yeah. Miz beat Wade Barrett for the IC title at WrestleMania 29 on the pre-show. And the next night on Raw, he lost the title again to Wade Barrett. Why? I don't know. 2013 was weird. 
We had the Shield, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, who were a great, great stable, defeating John Cena, Ryback, and Sheamus clean in the middle of the ring. Ryback, he had a winning streak for about a, a year, or actually a little less than a year. Then he proceeded to lose to CM Punk. Then he proceeded to lose to CM Punk again thanks to the Shield. Then he proceeded to lose to the Shield again. Then he proceeded to lose the Royal Rumble. Then he proceeded to lose to the Shield. And then he lost to Mark Henry at WrestleMania. And then he lost to John Cena. Yeah. Ryback went from being the poor man's Goldberg, who did make a difference in a little bit of pay-per-view buys for a very, very short period of time, to a guy that went on an epic pay-per-view losing streak. But the right guys won. It was the Shield. Kind of sad to look back now at the Shield. Yes, all the guys won world titles. All the guys are doing all right for themselves. But Seth Rollins could have been a much bigger star if they just turned him babyface after his knee injury. They didn't do that. Roman Reigns, had they turned him heel when they heard the fans booing him and then later turned him babyface much like Dwayne The Rock Johnson back in the day, I think he'd be a huge star. Dean Ambrose, had they pulled the trigger with him back in 2014 as opposed to 2016, where by that point he lost a lot of his momentum. Who knows? He could have been a big star. Instead, all these guys are damn good workers. They have a lot of good to great matches. They definitely get reactions from the audience. But in terms of being needle movers, guys that can replace the impact that John Cena had for all these years, Randy Orton for a period of time, Batista for a period of time, at the moment, it looks like not a damn chance. and That's quite sad in 2017, looking back at the Shield in 2013. But in the ring, they were one of the all-time great stables. Uh, they almost had no bad matches. Creatively, they were booked great. It was incredible. They were so well protected. So well protected. And a few months later, they'd win the tag titles and the U.S. title. And now... Ugh, man, it's it's it just it's sad. It's sad. You could make the argument from the standpoint of building the future of WWE that the Shield, in retrospect, was a flop. Not at the time, not for its period, but for the goal of creating three bona fide main eventers who could draw for years and years to come that can carry WWE on their backs. From a drawing slash marketing standpoint, you can make the argument the Shield was a failure. No fault of the three guys. But at the same time, you can say, in the ring, one of the all-time great success stories in WWE. So it's definitely a conundrum. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. Maybe four years later from now, you know, 2021, we'll look back and say, wow, Seth Rollins was a huge draw. Roman Reigns was a huge draw. Dean Ambrose was a huge draw. Maybe not, but uh, at the moment, not looking that good. We had Dolph Ziggler beat Kofi Kingston. This was a raw match. It was nothing. We had Caitlin beat Tamina Snuka to retain the Divas Championship. This was also nothing. And we had The Rock retain the WWE Championship against CM Punk. If The Rock was counted out or DQ'd, he'd lose the title. Pretty good match. CM Punk did the best he could, but nothing spectacular. The Rock would go on to put over John Cena at WrestleMania 29 in a not really that great of a match. Uh, the Rock, unfortunately, I think tore his he tore his groin, and, and I think he tore his abductor. It was ridiculous. He, he tore like a couple things, and 
The match suffered because of it, and he put over John Cena, much to the chagrin of all the fans in New Jersey at the time. And uh, that was that. So, overall, I'd say if you want to go back, take a trip down memory lane with this pay-per-view. You know, actually, oh my god, I skipped the Elimination Chamber match. I'm sorry. Here's a weird one. Because this is a pretty damn forgettable main event run for Jack Swagger. Jack Swagger, who became this real American with Zeb Coulter, my good friend Dutch Mantel, defeated Randy Orton, Chris Jericho, Mark Henry, Kane, and Daniel Bryan to earn a title shot at WrestleMania 29. He faced Alberto Del Rio. He lost. He quickly faded back into obscurity, mainly because of the fact that right after winning this, he got caught smoking weed in his car. Obviously, old Jack uh, learned nothing from Rob Van Dam, who did the same thing in 2006, who lost both the WWE and ECW titles in the same week because of it. Now, it's weed. It was 2013. Weed had a slightly different perception to the public compared to 2006, but it was still not legalized in Colorado or, or other states and Frankly, you're a grown-ass man. If you want to smoke some weed, man, go to your hotel room. Go to your home. Do it there. Now, instead, he got pulled over. He had weed on him. And, uh, yeah. That was that for Jack Swagger. So, if you want to go out of your way to see some good matches on this card, the Elimination Chamber match was pretty good. The eliminations were as follows. Mark Henry eliminated Daniel Bryan, which was complete BS, which further increased Daniel Bryan's momentum as he would win his first WWE Championship later in the year. We had Mark Henry then pin Kane. Randy Orton pin Mark Henry. Orton then pin Jericho. And then Jack Swagger pinned Randy Orton. If you're wondering what ended up happening with Chris Jericho, well, Jericho ended up wrestling Fandango at WrestleMania 29 and getting pinned by him. And we all know what happened to Fandango. He made the list. Ugh. So yeah, go back and watch the Elimination Chamber match. That was pretty good. Go back and watch Rock and CM Punk if you want to see CM Punk do a tremendous job of helping Rock get through this match. And go back and watch the Shield versus Cena, Ryback, and Sheamus because, quite frankly, the Shield rarely had any bad matches. So overall, I would give this show a thumbs up. I still think, looking back now, reviewing these retro Elimination Chamber shows, I still think Elimination Chamber 2010 was the strongest Elimination Chamber pay-per-view to date. That could change when Elimination Chamber 2017 airs. We shall see, though. I want to hear from you. What do you think about EC 2013? Were you there live? Did you order it at the time? Keep in mind, this was the last Elimination Chamber pay-per-view before the WWE Network era. So anyway, let me know your thoughts by leaving a comment below. Tweet us, Facebook us. Do what you got to do if you enjoyed this review. Please like, share, subscribe, and until next time, as always, enjoy the matches.